What makes a great round of golf is your short game. And when it comes to putting, alignment may be the most important part of the equation. That's why Odyssey continues to set performance standards with the new triple track putters. Three distinct alignment lines are centered on every triple track putter head. That's the same visual technology that lands jets on aircraft carriers. You'll be amazed at how easy it is to line up so you can focus on making a great stroke. Get lined up with the new triple track putters at CallawayGolf.ca. Calls for police reform are growing louder in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, and in Canada, the debate is starting to hit city halls and provincial legislatures. In Edmonton, city council is in the middle of a heated public hearing where councillors are being told story after story of incidents of racism and demands for action on defunding or reforming the police service. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. I talk with the Edmonton Journal's city columnist Keith Gerine about what problems are being raised, what changes are being demanded, and whether the mayor and council are ready to make sweeping reform to the cops. Don't forget you can subscribe to this show on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Keith, the debates over major policing reforms that have been kind of cascading across North America in the wake of the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police are all touching on similar themes, systemic racism and over-policing of marginalized communities and defunding the police. But every city deals with different issues or varying degrees of the same problem. So from your perspective as, as a city columnist in Edmonton, what are the main issues being raised with regards to to Edmonton police? A lot of the things we've been hearing from other cities are relevant to the Edmonton discussion as well. We haven't had so many recent cases of, you know, accusations of actual police murder, people dying at the hands of Edmonton police, although that does occasionally happen. The main issues that we've been hearing are things around just sort of police violence in general. We've seen some videos surface in the last couple of weeks of some aggressive arrests. Uh, in fact, an EPS officer has been arrested in one of those cases. So that has brought attention to whether police are perhaps using excessive force when they deal with, with some suspects, particularly people from minority communities. There's been issues around whether uh, police are doing street checks appropriately, carting people, which is a subtle form of intimidation in some people's mind. And then, of course, there's the, the kind of the wider issue, the systemic racism issue, where we have some minority and, and my, marginalized communities saying police are, are too often in our communities. They develop biases when they do that and that there are better ways to improve community safety and well-being, such as by investments in housing, social services, uh, rather than having police respond to these calls, mm -hmm. which tends to over-criminalize poverty and people who are living in poverty. Yeah. Those are sort of the main debates we're hearing, as we've heard from, from other cities as well. Yeah, and one of the main refrains that we've been hearing over the last several weeks has been defund the police. In some cases, We've heard abolish the police. In other cases, we've heard divest from policing. And when people say defund the police locally, as we've heard over the last couple of days at public hearings at Edmonton City Hall regarding an amendment to take away an increase to police funding, 
when they say divest or defund the police locally, what are they talking about? Is it just rescinding a proposed increase in funding? Is it further cuts and assigning money elsewhere? What are the main arguments here? Yeah, well, it kind of runs the gamut. So we've heard on one extreme uh, folks calling for the complete abolishment of police and to put in some other kind of community safety model. On the other extreme, we've heard people say, no, you should actually increase funding to police as has been planned because we need more officers because crime is increasing and and there's demand for more police. I think most people who are talking about this, at least at uh, the city hall hearings, go somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And there are some shades of gray to this. So there, you know, there are certainly some folks, the Black Lives Matter group, for example, I think their petition is maybe up to 20,000. Now I haven't checked recently, but that proposal suggests the number of police be reduced to some degree. I don't think they gave a number, but also that the budget, a planned increase of about $75 to the Edmonton Police Service over the next several years, that that be cancelled and that funding for police not be increased and that those funds should be instead invested in things like housing and social services. Then you've also got a proposal from City Council itself that's on the floor right now to not necessarily cut police funding in the same way, but to freeze it for a year. I think that would be a reduction of about $16 million or so from uh, what was planned. Mm-hmm. And to look at investing that, at least on a one-year basis, into different things and asking police to kind of make do and reform their practices with the budget that they currently have. One of the items that you mentioned is street checks. It's also known as carding. One of the practices that police in in a number of cities will use to kind of stop people, take their IDs, get information from them. And it's seen as being heavily practiced against people from Black and Indigenous communities. What's the big argument against the continuation of it? Or why do people want to see it stamped out? Police have called it street checks, and their argument is that this is a necessary part of their mandate to do community policing, that they do actually have to talk to people on the street, talk to businesses, talk to people in the community, get to know who they are, develop relationships. And and there is some validity to that. The question becomes, are police essentially stopping the same people all the time? Mm -hmm. Are they stopping the same kind of person, the same race of person? Are they asking for ID every time that they do this? And if the answer is yes to that question, and we did hear some folks suggest that the police are doing those things, then you can see how it becomes interpreted as a subtle form of intimidation, bullying, of targeting a particular person because they are from a minority community, racial profiling, whatever you want to call it. There was definitely repeated commentary at the city council hearings that people from those communities are feeling like police are unbalanced in how they do those kind of street checks. One of the questions I have is, if you do need to build relationships, do you need to ask for ID? Mm -hmm. That seems to be a real sore point for people. Do you need to ask for people's ID every time that you talk to them? And I'm not sure that police would say that they do that, but certainly there is a feeling that it happens too often. You know, when following some of the debate, at least by way of tweets that was happening at Edmonton City Hall this week, we're seeing discussion of people who may be punished in a disproportionate way for some kind of minor instance. I I saw one, I believe it was a case of an Indigenous woman who was taken to Remand Center for a fairly minor infraction over a dog. 
Was there a lot of discussion there this week about the police kind of being heavy handed with the black community, the indigenous community, and that leads to the belief that there is systemic racism existing within the Edmonton police? We have heard quite a, quite a number of those stories, and, and I should let you know, I mean, we're only halfway through the speaker's list through three days of testimony. There, there's, wow. uh, I think, a, another 100 or so that the city council has to go through, and we may get more on top of that who sign up. So, so there are a lot of people wanting to share those kinds of stories. So the one you referenced, yeah, um, that came secondhand from uh, a woman from the Elizabeth Fry Society, but she talked about a recent case where an Indigenous woman was uh, taken to the Edmonton Remand Center uh, with a 20-month-old baby at home. She had a, a warrant for a bylaw infraction about a barking dog, right? And so you, you, we don't know all the details of that case, but certainly that seems like an area where that's a situation that maybe got out of hand and maybe could have been handled in a different way. We heard from a man of color who, you know, he was lining up with some friends to go into a bar one night and was singled out by police for harassment in his view. We heard from a, a black woman who talked about a day when she was standing on the sidewalk with her cousins and got yelled at and leered at by Edmonton police uh, asking what she was doing on the sidewalk. There's been a few of those kinds of stories. A business owner who felt he was harassed repeatedly because police had it in their heads that he was up to no good. So... Those kind of things, what we're hearing is those are really formative experiences for people and they break a trust. They break a trust because, you know, we're supposed to have this relationship with police that assumes that they will administer the law fairly, impartially. And when that is broken, that is a trust that is really, really hard to get back. Some of these memories that people shared are from a while ago, but it's still with them. It still colors how they see police. And I suspect when the hearing continues next week, we're going to hear more of, this, of these things. Mm -hmm. Some of them are, are from the past. Some of them are from more recent days. And so it does seem to be a bit of an ongoing issue. Now, based on what the speakers are saying, what are the solutions for Edmonton police if we were to itemize what some of the people who've presented at this public hearing have been saying? How would we make the system better in their eyes? Yeah, so there's a lot of ideas that have come forward. Some of these things we've tried and have been part of the conversation for years, other things less so. But I mean, some of the ideas that have come up, like body cams, for example, should Edmonton police wear body cams, uh, that's been rejected in the past in part because it's expensive. But there is the idea that if officers do wear body cams, that provides footage that would be able to kind of tell the truth when you have a disputed account of an encounter with a police officer. Mm -hmm. There's some evidence out there, though, that suggests that the, that technology is not exactly the game changer that people would hope, that in fact, maybe it, it initially causes some change in officers' behavior, but it doesn't last over time. So that that's a concern. I, I think some officers have also said that they wear a body cam. Some of the people who they would normally talk to don't want to talk to them anymore because they think they're being recorded. So I, I think that's something to consider. Dash cams have come up. That's uh, something that the current chief here, Dale McPhee, does support. And I think they are, in fact, Edmonton police are installing more dash cams in their vehicles. But of course, it doesn't work for every officer in every situation. More diversity and mental health training has come up, although that is already part of the curriculum to some degree for, for trainees. The question is, is that kind of training reinforced throughout an officer's career? Do they get regular reminders of how to check their biases? What triggers 
for anger and bad behavior, how to check for situations when you know a mental health issue might be creeping up. Uh, that I, I'm, I'm not sure, but it's a question that's been asked. Changes to police culture have come up. I think a lot of police would say that they haven't been given enough credit for some of the changes to police culture that have been made. But again, I, I'm sort of hearing that there isn't maybe the, the step that we need to get to where it's become normal practice for officers to kind of intervene or proactively come forward when they see really egregious behavior. De-escalation training has been brought up, how to resolve situations, how well that works in you know really tense situations when our you know, kind of lower brain function takes over. That's another question. And then independent investigations of complaints, right? This has been talked about for years Yeah. in Edmonton and Alberta, whether police forces should be investigating themselves. We already have a partial model of that here, uh, an organization called ACERT, Alberta, Alberta Serious Incident Response Team, that looks at really serious allegations against police. But the question now is, should we expand that to have independent investigations of all police complaints or more police complaints. I think that's an idea that's overdue, but it's going to be an expensive idea uh, to set up a system like that. Oh, for sure. And a lot of these ideas would probably wind up costing money, whether that's uh, body cams, that comes with a cost, the notion of an independent review expanding the scope of ACERT, that would come with a cost. At the end of the day, I imagine that the concerns of the people who are demanding change in the in policing here are more worried about the change coming, probably rightfully so, than figuring out how it's going to be paid for. Yes. Obviously, part of this discussion, and I know that there's debate over how much part in the discussion they should play, is what the police are saying. And and I know that uh, Dale McPhee had done a, a coffee with the chief and he did a Facebook Live for the public and there was the police association president spoke at the public hearing at City Hall. What is their argument for either why we shouldn't freeze funding or why we shouldn't divest of policing? There's been a few different arguments out there. So they talk about that they don't feel that they've been given enough credit for real improvements in police culture and real improvements in internally uh, calling out racism and offensive attitudes that the effort they put into kind of de-escalation training diversity training, hiring more officers from diverse communities. And if we divest or defund the police, their argument is a lot of those efforts get set back and it would be counterproductive to actually improving police behavior even further. Their argument is also, look, Part of community policing involves the police. There are going to always going to be calls where there is a safety concern. And you can't just say, uh, send a social worker to a situation where you have a disturbed individual, or you can't just send a crisis interventionist maybe to somebody who is high on meth because there's a, you know, potentially some violent tendencies that could come out there and a variety of other situations. So they suggest police always are going to have to be part of the solution. How much of a presence they have in these calls and how they do their community policing, that's certainly up for debate, but it's unrealistic to think that they aren't going to have a role going forward, a big role going forward. The question is, you know, how big of a part of a solution should they be? Mm -hmm. But that's the main argument that we're hearing from them. When it comes to local politicians, the mayor and city council, who've been listening to some, as, as you call them, some gutting stories and, and horrible 
dehumanizing treatment of people at the hands of police. Where do you get the sense that city council is looking at this from? Like, do you feel that there's enough support on city council to actually freeze police funding? Or do you get a sense that councillors or the mayor are up for sweeping change to how policing is done in Edmonton with just one year to go before they have to face voters? It's a great question. So this whole issue, I think, has really thrown city council for a loop. I think it's thrown the mayor a bit for a loop. Some of the comments that we heard from him and from other councillors at the start of this, they're a little different now after listening to some of the testimony at the city council hearing and and, uh, watching some of the protests in Edmonton and elsewhere. And so my sense is that, yeah, at this point, they are heading towards a direction of change. I, I think the motion to freeze police funding is seen as potentially a reasonable compromise. Mm-hmm. I would expect it to pass when it comes up again next week. And the mayor has has since then talked openly about possibly changing the model of community safety and how police are involved in that. What that looks like, whether they would be able to try to get the ball rolling on a pretty substantive change like that in the year before the election, that's a good question. I suspect there will be some studies, some statistics, some discussions to come. But the kind of change that we're talking about, that doesn't happen all that quickly. And I could see it potentially being a ballot issue next year when the election happens. For those who don't follow city politics, Edmonton City Council has a habit for commissioning reports and kicking things down the road. (laughs) Yes. Do you feel like they may try and address some of this in the short term to at least start making progress on some of these issues? Or could it all kind of get pushed? They could say, well, there could be a whole new council in a year that you know may be more responsive to the community's concerns and we may want to leave it for them? Or, or do you feel that they'll want to address it right away? Often all comes down to politics. So I think a lot of them are trying to see which way the wind is blowing right now and how urgently they need to address this. So my sense from the mayor at this point is that he is putting some urgency on this. You know, He pushed to have these, these hearings happen now, rather than say after the council's summer break, he wanted to get this in. They've scheduled extra days to do that. Mm-hmm. The motion's been made to uh, freeze police funding. He's made another motion to get a whole bunch of statistics together on policing and communities, uh, minority communities, that will be posted on the city's open data uh, webpage. So I think he is uh, trying to get this going fairly quickly. And I, I do hear some of the councillors agreeing with that. There may be some other counselors that say, hold on, let's not go too fast here when we're talking about such substantive change. But when some of those numbers come back, for example, when the budget comes up this fall, I think some of those questions are going to have to be addressed immediately. And those counselors that may want to kick the can down the road again may not have the option to do so. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see how this is all shaking out in a Canadian context. Keith, thanks for your time. Great to be here, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Keith Jarine. More from him at edmontonjournal.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>